Let's open in prayer. Father, thank you for gathering us not just into this church today, but for gathering us to yourself out of darkness and showing us the light. And please open our hearts and minds today to receive what you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to start by just reading a scripture to you. Jude, verses 3 to 4. There's no chapters in Jude, it's just one book, so we just go with verses. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. That means it was done, right? Once for all delivered, handed down, not to be amended. Contend for that faith. For certain people have crept in unnoticed, people who had come into the church, who long ago were designated for condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Do you know that there are various ways to pervert the grace of God? There are various ways to deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. It's been going on since the beginning of the church, since the early church was in existence, and it continues on today. And we have the responsibility to contend for the faith. Now today, I want to tell you why we have this on our website. And I know it may seem strange to some of you, but give it a chance, okay? And hear me out. Something, you know, we probably should have talked about a long time ago. We can only do so much as we go. If, you, if you've explored our website anymore, and it talks about what we believe, we have this here. It's the Nicene Creed. It's the most widely accepted creed of the church across the world. This is the one that's most recognized ecumenically. And I'm not going to read it all right now. We do need to maybe at some point, either in a class setting or in the, in the church, uh, talk through the details. But it's basically set up in a Trinitarian formula. We believe in one God, the Father. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life. Now, these things are doctrinal. This is a doctrinal statement. These are theological beliefs. When we talk about theological, I don't like to use words that people don't resonate with that much, but this is a word we probably ought to know. And basically, we're in the ballpark of something like reflecting on the things of God, thinking about the things of God, being able to articulate things of God, whether that's about God himself or God as he's revealed in Scripture, however you want to view it. That's, that's what we're doing with theology. And this is, this is early Christian theology here that's put here for us. In fact, this is, this is built on the Apostles' Creed, another creed. This is shorter, and it, it's basically, the Apostles didn't write it, but it's what the early church understood the Apostles to have said is essential. And so they wrote out basic summaries uh, one summary in particular, very early on, you get the Apostles' Creed. What they understood the Apostles to say was, was central. And then as controversies developed over time, they, they expanded it a little bit. You end up with the, the Nicene Creed. Now, uh, like I said, I know some of you probably you hear Creed and you think, oh, no way. And I'm going to say more about that in a minute, but just give it a chance. One of the reasons we, we balk when somebody talks about theology or creeds or things like that is we think of them as totally irrelevant. Now, I'm in the process right now of getting my dissertation published in book form. And just this week, I was filling out a contract. And I was noticing, now this is a highly academic work. It's a, 
based on a bunch of Greek words and a bunch of stuff that would be totally boring to you. But I had to fill out this contract. I have to, I have to sign a contract. They have all these details in there uh, uh, about granting publishing rights and things. And look, look what I have to agree to. I have to grant exclusive publishing rights to this company for any dramatic and motion picture rights and performance rights of every kind or nature, including but not, limit, but not limited to uh, feature-length motion picture, television, cable, and internet rights as well, film strips based on the story, and film strips or motion pictures photographed directly from the book, phonograph. Who's still using the phonograph? <laughs> phonograph and radio rights. I have to give up all this. I'm wondering, man, should I agree to this? What are they going to do with this thing? I'm afraid that, that uh, sometimes when we think about Christian theology, when we think about things like the Nicene Creed, we think of it like something like this. It's irrelevant. It doesn't matter. But we have to sign off on it anyway because Christians told us we had to or, or uh, Going to church with people means we're supposed to agree to this, so we sign off on it. And I want to tell you, that's why we don't care about theology today. That's why we don't think about creeds. It's because we think they are irrelevant. We think they don't matter, and that's a great loss for us. So have you ever heard, you ever heard somebody say this? It doesn't matter what you believe. Have you heard that? Very common statement. It doesn't matter what you believe. Now, just, just think about this. What if God does exist? And what if he has revealed himself to human beings? Is it not rather audacious for us to speak into his universe and say, it doesn't matter what we think about him? It doesn't matter what we believe? And you see, what we, what's happened is we've adopted a secular view that has crept into the church and the way we think about the Bible and the way we think about Christian theology. And so the, the secular worldview is it doesn't matter what you believe. In actuality, nobody lives by that, and nobody actually believes that. For example, nobody does that with chemistry. You don't go into a chemistry class and say, well, you know, that's just your truth. But uh, it doesn't really matter. I'm going to mix these things instead. All right? Kaboom! <laughs> You know you run into reality. Nobody does this with traffic laws, for example. Well, I know they say drive on the right side of the road, but that's their truth. It doesn't really matter what you believe. I'm going to drive on the left side of the road. No, because you know why? You know that if you violate the traffic laws, you run into reality. And here's what has happened in the world and largely with the church is we've adopted a secular worldview that says with things of God, with spiritual things, you will never run into reality. So it doesn't matter what you believe. And that's really what people mean when they say it doesn't matter what you believe. It doesn't matter what you believe about God. It doesn't matter what you believe about spiritual things and sometimes at least certain moral things. It doesn't matter what you believe. And it's because people think there's no reality there that you'll ever run into. And what we have to stand on as Christians is that there is a reality. And we're supposed to be people who know that because we live in it and we interact with it. And we know that God does remove himself to give people freedom. If God showed up with all his reality, there would be no freedom. Everybody would be blown away. So he, he hides himself. He, he holds back and gives people freedom to say, well, I don't believe that. But for us to join in and say it doesn't matter would be utter foolishness. That would be one of the dumbest things anybody's ever done. And people are doing it all around us. 
But if it's true, what we know to be true, that there is a God who exists and who reveals himself, then that's the dumbest thing anybody's ever done. Say it doesn't matter what you think about the ultimate reality. So we live in a world that says generally religious beliefs are insignificant. And in a Christian world sometimes, where, where a lot of us say historic Christian beliefs, they don't matter either. What you think about the Trinity, what you think about the creed that's been handed down through the ages, oh, it's just not that big a deal. Why worry about those kind of things? It's like signing a contract. Who, who cares about those kind of things? And it's left us in a situation today where churches are filled with people who don't know how to think about God. They don't know how to talk about God. They cannot articulate their faith in a deep and meaningful way. Studies have been done uh, showing this with young people especially. I've talked to you some about this before. I don't know if, if you'll remember, but... But uh, young people, there was, there was a study done in 2003 to 2005 called the National Study of Youth and Religion, something like that. Major study done just examining the faith uh, of youth in churches across the United States. And what they found was abysmal, that, that largely uh, youth, and then they, uh, uh, I, I think they, uh, let me hesitate how I'm saying this. I'm not sure if it was a result of the study or if it was an implication that was argued for by others. But, but uh, one way or the other, where I came across this information, the argument was that this was a reflection of the parents' faith. In other words, the youth believed this way, and that was a study, but it was actually, this is just what people in general believe in the church. And what they're finding is that people don't believe much. It's not that they're denying the faith a lot of times. Oh, just, I'm done with it. It's just they don't really care. It kind of can be summed up with a shrug. Let me show you uh, what uh, this lady in her book, uh, Almost Christian, writes about it. American young people are theoretically fine with religious faith, but it no does not concern them very much. This is a study done about Christians across the United States. And it is not durable enough to survive long after they graduate from high school. And that's true. There's what's called the rise of the nuns today. Have you heard of the nuns? Not the N-U-N-S, <laughs> the N-O-N-E-S, the nuns. They're, they're these people who are saying, we don't identify with any religious faith. We're none. Because their faith, their faith isn't lasting past high school. Um, so you have this, this study, actually, the, the researchers who did this study, they came up with a term for what they were seeing in the faith of young people. They called it moralistic therapeutic deism. What they actually said was this is a different faith. This isn't really Christianity. It's a different faith altogether. It's moralistic in that God wants me to be a good person and not a jerk. <laughs> they know that, okay? It's therapeutic. God or religion should help me feel good about myself. And deistic. God is not really present to do anything in the world. He's a distant God. He's not available. And that's what most of the young people in our world are coming up believing who are sitting in church. And they're not saying, oh, church is bad or you can't have anything to do with church. They're sitting there, but, but they're also saying, hmm, yeah, yeah, just go, be a good person. Feel good about yourself and, and, yeah, live a good life. And this is a terrible perversion of the faith that's been handed down through the generations. This is not Christianity. And we just have to be real about it. This is what most people, if the studies are right, most young people are coming up believing, and they are reflecting the beliefs of their parents. This is a sad state, and we have to respond to it. Another quote by Dean, We are doing an exceedingly good job of teaching youth what we really believe, namely that Christianity is not a big deal, that God requires little, little 
and the church as a helpful social institution filled with nice people focused primarily on folks like us, which of course begs the question of whether we are really the church at all. Christianity is just not a big deal. Now that's what young people are believing, and that's what many Christians are believing across the United States today. And we have the scripture that's given to us that we started with today, where Jude tells us, contend earnestly for the faith. Fight for it. Strive for it. Hold on to it and cling to it and present it to the world. Hmm. This is what people are doing with it. Whatever. It's because we have lost sight of our heritage. We have failed to realize what has been handed down to us and what Jesus started in the world that he wants us to cling to. And now we live in a a time where where people believe in almost anything (laughs) but but, uh, straightforward traditional Christianity. And you have people believing in astrology, reading the signs, looking at horoscopes. And this is postmodernism, if you're familiar with the term. Postmodernism is, is following on modernism. You've had an explosion of belief now in our world today. But you're not supposed to believe that any way is just right and that there's any really substantial truth that should be clung to. This is reflected in the things that are going on in our world with sexuality and just where people believe all kinds of craziness now. I saw a few weeks ago that Demi Lovato came out, I believe, as non-binary, saying she wants to be referred to with pronouns such as they and them because she doesn't identify with with any particular gender, and that stuff's growing and and spreading. And and while we need to be compassionate towards people who are so confused by these kinds of things, uh, we also need to be able to take a stand and not be bullied and realize that uh, there is a truth that's been handed down. You see, basically, this is a theological problem. Basically, this is a problem with people who don't understand a transcendent God and a cherished faith in this God and in the Christ who has revealed him, in the Trinity that has been revealed in Scripture and handed down through the ages. This is a theological problem that leads to all this kind of craziness that's out there. And so uh, we just have to, we have to hold firm and say, no Christian doctrine matters. But I want you to know it matters not because God has a test for us. That's the way people think of it sometimes. And we have to pass this test. So, yep, make sure you know the doctrines because you're going to have to check the right boxes. As if salvation might have hinged on knowing that George Washington was the first president of the United States. You know, God could have given us anything to believe and just made sure we believed it. As long as you know that the earth revolves around the sun, um, you can be saved. No, that's not it. This is about revealing who God is to us because that is where life is. Because knowing God is about knowing life. Knowing God is about love and goodness. It is, it is central to everything God's done in creation. He has revealed himself. And our life is tied to his life and to knowing him. It matters because the faith is a great gift from God. Now I want you to contrast this idea with what uh, I find this humorous. It's a short video, if, if y'all wouldn't mind pulling it up for me back there. Uh, and uh, this, is, uh, this is a reflection of what atheists believe. And I'm going to tell you that, uh, why I'm playing this in just a second, but, but I want you to watch this song. 
uh, Steve Martin, the comedian, sings it. And uh, let's see. Um, you guys have it? You know, I listen to that song night after night, and I think, gee, religious people have such beautiful music and art, and atheists really have nothing. <laughs> Until now. <clears throat> this is the entire atheist hymnal right here. A little tune called Atheists Don't Have No Songs. Christians have, Christians have their hymns and pages. Hymns and pages. Havanagilas for the Jews. For the Jews. Baptists have the rock of ages. Rock of ages. Atheists just sing the blues. Romantics play, Romantics play Claire, de Lune. Claire de Lune. Born again, sing he is risen. But no one ever wrote a tune. Wrote a tune. For godless existentialism. For atheists, there's no good news. They'll never sing a song of faith in their songs. They have a rule. The he is always lowercase. The he is always lowercase. Some folks sing a Bach cantata. Bach cantata. Lutherans get Christmas trees. Atheist songs add up to nada. Up to nada. But they do have Sundays free. Have Sundays free. Pentecostals sing. They sing to heaven. Sing to heaven. Coptics have the Book of Scrolls. Numerologists count, they count to seven. Five, six, seven. Atheists have rock and roll. For atheists, there's no good news. They'll never sing a song of faith in their songs. They have a rule. The he is always lowercase. The he is always lowercase. Atheists. Christians have their hymns and pages. Hymns and pages. Havanagilas for the Jews. For the Jews. Baptists have the rock of ages. Rock of ages. Atheists just sing the blues. Catholics dress up for mass and listen to Gregorian chants. Atheists just take a pass. Watch football in their underpants. Watch football in their underpants. to write an atheist song. But there's actually a, a, something deep there, and I don't know if, if you've caught it, but uh, he says atheists don't have no songs. And you hear him say, for atheists there's no good news. That's why they don't have no songs. And what I want to say to you today is the reason we sing is because we have a gospel. It's because we have Christian doctrine. It's because we have a story that's good, and we sing because of that. Christian theology is given to us so that we can sing. You remember the, the old song, Blessed Assurance? Blessed Assurance, Jesus is mine. Think about all that's 
contained in these, these short little phrases. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. I'm an heir of salvation, purchased of God, born of his spirit, washed in his blood. This is my story. This is my song. See, what happens to the song if you don't have the story? That, that's the, the thing. If you don't have the story, you don't have the song. And our hearts were made by God for the song. We were made to sing. And life doesn't go right unless we get that song. This is what the early Christians understood about Christian doctrine. It mattered because worship matters. And worship is tied to life. Everything goes together. That is why we talk about Christian doctrine. Not because there's a test that God gives us. Because life matters. Because God himself matters to us. He's made us for himself. As Augustine said, you have made us for yourself and our heart is restless till it finds its rest in thee. And that idea guides us in all of life. This is worship. This is our song. That's, that's blessed assurance. Here's another way that Augustine said it. Christ came chiefly for this reason. This is revelation. That we might learn how much God loves us and might learn this to the end that we begin to glow with love of him. You see that? We take the revelation. We say it matters what we believe about Christ. But in, in, in taking that, we learn how much God loves us and then we glow with love of him by whom we were first loved. And so might love our neighbor at the bidding and after the example of him who made him for himself our neighbor by loving us. So let me just give you a, a few thoughts around the scriptures here. We might would have thought of this one sooner since Jesus says, this is the greatest command. What's the, what's the great commandment in the law? Verse 37, you shall love the Lord your God. And by the way, you cannot reduce that just to loving your neighbor. Loving your neighbor is the second command. It's like it, but you cannot reduce loving God to loving your neighbor. That's what some people would like to do, but it doesn't, doesn't work in, in terms of what Jesus thought, in terms of what the scriptures teach. We we're first made to love God with our heart, all our heart, all our soul, and all our mind. See, the early Christians understood that this kind of knowledge of Christian doctrine was so that there would be devotion, so that there would be love of God. We might just think that it matters. If it matters that we love God with all our mind, then it matters what we think about him. It matters how he has revealed himself. You might think about something like this. And we're bouncing around today on purpose. I don't usually do this in sermons, but we're doing it today. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Now, that might mean multiple things. It might mean just delight ourselves by walking in his ways. That's one way to delight in the Lord. But we might also think that delight in the Lord can go beyond that, to where we delight in him by our thinking about him, by our reflection on him, by our knowledge of him. I love what C.S. Lewis says. He, he wrote, wrote an intro to an old book by, by St. Athanasius. And Lewis said, for my own part, I tend to find the doctrinal books often more helpful in devotion than the devotional books. I believe that many who find that nothing happens when they sit down or kneel down to a book of devotion would find, I love this phrase, that the heart sings unbidden while they are working their way through a tough bit of theology with a pipe in their teeth and a pencil in their hand. 
Yet the heart sings unbidden at these beautiful ideas. We delight in the Lord as he's revealed himself to us. We love God with our mind in Christian theology. Think about this. I meant to put this on the PowerPoint, but I forgot. But let me just quote it to you. John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, the Logos. Okay, that, that was an important concept in, in Greek thought. Understood as a divine principle ordering and organizing, giving life to the universe. This divine transcendent principle. Right? The Logos, the Word. John says, in the beginning was the Word... And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And he goes on down to say, later in that chapter, the Word became flesh. The Logos became flesh and dwelled among us, and we have seen his glory. Do you know what he's doing? He's personalizing the universe. He's saying that when you get back to the bottom of all things, you don't find a great black hole. What you find is a person. What you find is actually a, a community of love at the heart of the universe. It was with God and it was God. And that's the, that's the heart of the universe. This is, this is theology given to us in the scriptures. Uh, I did put it up there. Thanks, guys. <laughs> Didn't know that was on there. All right. Logos became flesh. That's, that's why we do Christian theology because we, we understand these beautiful things that make our hearts sing unbidden. Okay, let me tell you just a little bit more, and I'm going to wrap this up. Um, this is why we have the Nicene Creed on our website. Because these truths have been handed down to the church throughout the ages. Now, you may be somebody who says, well, we don't need theology. I don't do theology. We don't do theology. I just read the Bible. Actually, that's wrong. You can't just do that. <laughs> Um, or I don't have a creed, I just have the Bible. That's been passed around sometimes too. A creed's just a summary statement of your beliefs. And uh, you can't avoid it if you summarize your beliefs. <laughs> so uh, I'm sorry, that just, that's not right. You do have a creed. If, you ask you, if I ask you what you believe, you, you'll tell me what you believe. You have a creed. If I ask you certain things, well, let me just show you, because uh, Thor and um, um, Bruce Banner talked about this once. Uh, Oh, you can't really read it up there, can you? I'm sorry. Let me read it to you, okay? So uh, Bruce Banner's saying, I don't need theology. I just need Jesus. And Thor says, I see. So who is this Jesus? He's God incarnate who came to save mankind from sin. And, and then Thor says, you're doing theology. <laughs> right? It's unavoidable. And somebody sent me that last week, and that's, that's just fit with what I was saying today. You can't escape doing it. You can't escape having some beliefs. And if you summarize them, that's, that's your creed. Uh, and if you're reasoning about God, take it to something else. Ask, well, why don't we have animal sacrifices today? You say, well, here's the reasoning. Jesus is our sacrifice, and he's from God, and he, he took away our sins. You're doing theology, right? And uh, we don't have to put everything into a statement, but, but it's actually unavoidable that we, that we do some of it. Uh, but we also need uh, theologies and creeds so that we know what's important. And, and this has a two-pronged uh, Effect. In one sense, we need to know what's important so we don't divide over the wrong things. You know, we're told to contend earnestly for the faith. And I put a couple other scriptures up here for you. Second John, everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. And he goes on to say, if somebody doesn't bring that doctrine, don't receive them into your house. Those are strong statements, right? Uh, but what we do sometimes, we load, we load everything up into the doctrine of Christ. 
or we say contend earnestly for the faith, and we load up a bunch of stuff that's just really our tradition, and we stick it in the faith, we stick it in the doctrine of Christ, and then we say we have to divide from everybody who disagrees from us. And we do a lot of damage in that way. So we need a starting point for saying, what is it that really matters? And I say, let's start with what the church has always said really matters. And then let's seek to be welcoming to our brothers and sisters. We don't have to do everything like they do it. We can have disagreements on less important matters and say, well, we want to do it this way and you can do it that way. But we don't, con- we don't condemn and say, you're not a part of the church and, and you can't have anything to do with us because you disagree with us on everything here and there. And yonder. Sometimes people say, well, this is, this is the doctrine of Christ right here. This book right here is the doctrine of Christ. Nobody believes that. And nobody lives that out because you just, just start following those. You'll see people who are in the church with people who hear those sermons and they disagree on things right here in this book. Nobody actually lives that out. So we have to think about how do we some way consistently say we're going to stand for certain things but not be so divisive that everything that comes along divides the church as it has for so long where we have like 39,000 Protestant denominations in the United States or across the world, I can't remember. Something needs to be done about this division problem. I say let's start with the faith. Start with what's been recognized as essential throughout centuries now. Now they may not have said everything that needs to be said, but I think they got a lot of it in there. And uh, we, we can start there and say we're not going to be a divisive people. But on the flip side of that, we need to, to know what's essential because we do need to stand for the doctrine. We do need to, to uh, contend for the faith. And we need to know what that is. I was in Kentucky a, a few years back, and we learned some lessons in my time there as a really young pastor and my friend Aaron DeGoff and I were, were working things out as we went, but we, we started a membership process and we brought some people into the church. They were the first ones I think we ever did it with, and we didn't realize it at the time. We, we learned to be more specific in our questions and our conversations later, but, but we learned later on that this couple really, at least, at least the woman of the couple, the wife, did not affirm the faith. She did not accept Christian doctrine. And so there came a point where we, we, you know, they continued to come to church with us and everything was fine. But when we were uh, putting people forward in ministry, we had to meet with them and say, look, uh, I'm not going to say her name, but look, uh, we can't put you into ministry here. She wanted to teach the children at our church. (laughs) And uh, we we said, uh, we can't do this with you because you don't affirm the gospel. You don't affirm essential Christian doctrine. And uh, they processed it and met with us again and were really mad about it. Uh, and, uh, and she, they laid out her Christian credentials, all the friends she had that say that she's a faithful Christian. And, uh, I asked her, I said, do you believe that Jesus died for your sins? And she went into some explanation, like, I believe Jesus died as a great example of concern for social justice or something like that. And, um, and I can't remember if I asked her then or if I just knew it already, but she did not affirm, I don't believe that the, the resurrection of Jesus. Here's this woman denying the core of the gospel, and yet she felt greatly offended that she couldn't teach the children of the church. <laughs> and uh, we had to part ways because we know there's a core to this faith that cannot be compromised. Right? And we stand for that. We stand with the Christians throughout history who have stood for the same thing. And that's what we're going to do here, too. Uh, we're not going to bring people into this pulpit. I think I can speak for the elders here. We're not going to bring people into the pulpit here who deny the faith, who don't accept this faith that's been handed down through the ages. This is essential Christian doctrine. So we don't want to be unnecessarily divisive. 
But at the same time, we want to know where to draw the line. And we start with the faith that's been handed down. Well, let me just close. There's, I, I have more scriptures up here that we could look at and, and think about. But I, like I said, I'm, I'm going to just approach this sermon differently today. And we're going we're to close out. by. But let me just remind you of what I've already said, that this is tied to worship. Knowing God as he's revealed himself is tied to our songs. There's a lady I like who's been doing mighty Christian, Christian ministry in Africa, reaching out to, to uh, these poor, impoverished children over there. And she tells a story in one of her books. Her name's Heidi Baker. She tells the story of a, a young 12-year-old girl named Helena. This girl had her, she'd been in prostitution at 12 years old. Her leg had been burned off at the knee in a fire. And because of that, her family had thought she was useless, and they had, they had basically, her grandmother had sent her out, and they were involved in cultish things, and they'd sent her out and, and tried to kill her, but she had survived. And when she met Heidi Baker, and Heidi told her the gospel, she burst into tears, melted into Heidi's arms, crying. And she kept saying over and over, Jesus would do that for me? Jesus would die for me? I want to know him. Now, what I want to say to all the smarties out there who are telling us that Christian doctrine doesn't matter, I want to say you go to Helena and tell Helena Christian doctrine doesn't matter. See, this is good news. This is good news that's been handed down through the ages and that the world still needs to hear today and that we need to stand for as the church today. This is the good news that we rejoice in. This is the good news that's going to last through the ages. Do you think our society is the first society to try to act like the Christian gospel's dumb? <laughs> Do you think our society is the first one that's tried to snuff out this orthodox faith? Oh my goodness, read some history if you think anything like that. This Christian faith is insured by God. <laughs> and people have tried to wipe it out. They can't do it. The empire turned against it early on and tried to remove it. They couldn't get rid of the orthodox Christian faith because God has revealed himself to us and the church is going to stand. We're a part of something that's going to last and win and it is a treasure it's a treasure that we are allowed to receive in ourselves. We sing about it. We sing words like this. In Christ alone my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. This cornerstone, this solid ground, firm through the fiercest drought and storm. What heights of love, what depths of peace. When fears are stilled, when striving cease. My comforter, my all in all. Here in the love of Christ I stand. Listen to this. In Christ alone, who took on flesh, fullness of God in helpless babe. That's Christian doctrine right there. This gift of love and righteousness, scorned by the ones he came to save, Till on that cross as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied, for every sin on him was laid. Here in the death of Christ, I live. This is Christian doctrine. 
And this is why it matters, because we have a song to sing. And this song will change our lives. Thanks be to God. Praise team, come on up and let's, let's sing.